comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. And welcome to episode 99 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Russell Latham, Jim Dietz, and Aaron Newerth. How y'all doing? Doing well. Good. A lot better than uh, Patrick. And a lot of other people. And a lot of other people. (laughs) Uh, But we will get to that in a minute. Uh, Tonight we will be discussing episode 402 from The Walking Dead, Infected, written by Angela Kang and directed by Guy Furland. But before we get to that, Russ, why don't you tell us about our fine sponsor? Our sponsor for this episode of the Walking Dead TV podcast is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com, where you can save a ton of money on your comics, graphic novels, toys, all kinds of goodies over at DCBService.com. This month of Walking Dead note, issue 118 is solicited of the Walking Dead comic book. You can get it for 40% off at $1.79, a steal. The new Origin 2, the the sequel to the Origin comic from Marvel that was the untold origin of Wolverine, is on sale for 50% off. It's $249, so that's a $499 cover price. A little steep, but again, you can get it for half off. One of five. All Marvel and DC trades hardcovers are all half off at Discounts Comic Book Service, so if you order early, you can get your stuff super, super cheap. And there's still plenty of time in October. It's only the the 21st as we record this. So you can get your October orders in. If you're a slacker like me and wait and you're into November, don't worry. Go ahead and submit the order in. Shoot them an email. Uh, they're happy to take the late orders as well. And don't forget to, if you're into the digital side of things, you can earn 5% back on your purchases at Discount Comic Book Service by going through their digital portal uh, for Comixology on the DCBService.com site. And if you've never ordered before, shame on you, or haven't ordered in over a year, then you could use the code WD8 uh, when you check out or or use your order form for an extra 8% off your order at DCBService.com. We thank them for their support of the Walking Dead TV podcast. Yes, we do. So on ratings news, last week, as you may remember, we had 16.1 million viewers for the season premiere. We had a slight drop this week, which is normal. Usually the series and season premieres and season finales have the highest ratings, and everything else is, you know, a few million down from that. So 16.1 for the premiere. We had 13.9 million 
for this week's episode, Infected, which seems like a bigger drop than it is, because keep in mind it's 13.9 and 16.1, so really it's just a 2 million drop, and that's quite normal for the second episode of a season. And still, 13.9 in this day and age is fantastic, and nothing to sneeze at. So, Considering it's the middle of football season as well. I mean, that that's, is that's true. huge. That is certainly true. So, what do you say, gentlemen? Should we get into talking about Infected? Because it was a doozy. Let's go for it. Yeah. So, we start in our cold open. Uh, It's night. We're at the fence. There's a bunch of walkers there. And someone is feeding a live rat, and we eventually see rats, to the walkers at the fence. We don't see who it is. They've got a flashlight. They seem to be of adult height, because that's something that's been discussed. It seems to be an adult of some type feeding these rats to the walkers. And really cool-looking walkers, by the way. They talked about this on Talking Dead, that they were puppets. And you could tell, but I actually really love that look. Um, I I don't know how many of you have seen this. I think, I know Aaron has, I'm pretty sure. But um, Land of the Dead, which is certainly not Romero's best movie, but of his most recent modern trilogy, it's the best. He used a lot of CG augmented, stop-motion-looking puppet zombies that looked like nothing else he's used and I really love the look of and this reminded me a lot of that I can see that I can see where you're going on that one so I thought that was cool it just has an otherworldliness to it that adds to the ickiness to to me at least and there's another Romero reference that we will get to later on in this episode I was just going to say as to the you know the identity of the person who's feeding the walkers which becomes you know a major plot thread in this episode I mean, a lot of people online are saying it's the little girls, or one of the little girls, maybe the older little girl. But like you said, Jordan, in this open, it seemed like the person was of adult height, not um, a child. So, I mean, I mean, the little girls would be the obvious choice. They're out by the fence every day. They're giving them names. You know, I mean, th- that would be the go- you know my go-to suspect anyway. Yeah, and, that, and a lot of people posited that. And even the idea was brought up, well, it could have been a ladder to get them closer to the zombies' mouths. Uh, makes sense, I guess, but if the person feeding the zombies is the same person who does some other things in this episode, uh, which we'll get into later, I highly, highly doubt it, but we'll get to that. Yeah, it's just, it's the kind of thing that makes too much sense, but uh, I have theories on this later as well. <laughs> All righty, can't wait to hear them. So after we have that part of the cold open, we then cut to Tyrese and Karen, who are hanging out in their cell. Uh, he's singing to her as, as he holds her, and they're talking about their lives and stuff like that. And eventually, Karen goes to get ready for bed, and she goes to the uh, to the room with the showers and, and the uh, the uh, sinks and such. And she hears a noise. She looks around to see if she can find anything, and she doesn't find anything. But as she leaves the room, we pan down and we see zombified Patrick on the floor uh, where she didn't see him. He gets up. He follows the noise back to the cell block D. And as soon as I saw that big cell block D, I knew we were in trouble because of the commercials and stuff, even from the trailer that says we have walkers in D. So you know where that's going. Uh, Karen goes into her room and uh, Patrick kind of stops right by her door, which all all the cell doors kind of have sheets in front of them, which gives a cool shadow effect, but he doesn't stop there for long. He's uh, distracted by a coughing person in another cell. He goes in, follows that noise, finds a sleeping man and bites his throat. So the man wakes up but is unable to scream, and Patrick chows down. And the man soon awakes as a walker. I was going to say, this is the part that seemed Romero-esque to me. You know, just that how the way it was shot and everything else just seemed very much, um, I don't know, it just reminded me of Romero even more so than the mixture of CGI and puppets, like you were saying. 
Well, in, in particular, there's that moment where the guy whose name I think is given, but I don't remember what it is, when that guy that Patrick uh, bites, when he rolls over, all his guts fall out on the floor after yeah. he's zombified. That is a direct reference, and I was assuming this based on the episode, but then Greg Nicotero confirmed it on the, on the Talking Dead. That was definitely a direct reference to uh, Romero's Day of the Dead, probably his most underrated of the original trilogy. I really like that movie. I like that one. I say it's third in that trilogy, but I really like that movie, and I did pick up on that right away, actually, which which was pleasing to me. I gotta say, as far as opening sequences go, I can't think of what my favorite what, like cold opens for the show have gone. I, I can't think of my favorite one, but I'd say this one's probably the scariest one that I've seen on this show. Because I, and I, as much as I love zombie movies and zombie media in general, it's not one that tends to scare me. And so this one, the fact that it actually, like, seemed like a scary cold open was, like, really awesome to me. I really liked how creepy this whole vibe was, how, in this kind of world, how realistic that could be, where it's just it's just this silent threat that actually accomplishes its goal, and then there's just this inevitability to everyone else is going to get turned into walkers because it's this thing that's waiting for you in the morning. It's just, like, I, I liked everything about this cold open. It, it was really good. It reminds me, in terms of creepiness levels, of actually the pilot's cold open with Rick and the little girl um, at the gas station. That's fair, yeah. But uh, other than that, not a lot of them start out quite that creepy. You're right. Was anybody else confused by what time of day this was taking place at? No, I figured it was like 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. or something like that. Because they keep cross-cutting between D and Rick and Rick's group. And Rick's outside farming and such. There's clearly light coming in from outside. Yet everybody seems to Wait, be asleep. What, in Wait, what, what? No, what, the alarm. When? The yeah. alarm goes off, and he gets up and gets and gets. Yeah, like we see this. So it's like right. It's. But wasn't there quite a bit of light coming in from outside? Well, you see the walker, uh... like like the walker gets into the guy's room. He chooses neck. We go to like break or whatever. We come back and like, eventually, like the, there's sunlight on the zombie at a point. Like he's basically been chewing on this guy all night. Like... Okay, I guess I can buy that. That it's been. Been a couple it's been several hours. hours. He's just he's having but, a he's having a, he's resting on he's milking his feast. That's what he's doing. <laughs> as as the episode was playing though, I was a little bit confused. I was I was assuming that maybe people were sleeping in shifts or something. But uh, your, your your guy's explanation makes a lot more sense. That would certainly make sense if they were sleeping in shifts. That could prevent these kind of things from happening. But well, <laughs> he was like he was like Homer Simpson at a salad bar. I mean, he was sitting there and eating for a while. I mean, there's a whole scene where Rick is up with Judith and waking up in the mornings, and they even show a clock that says six. So, yeah, it's definitely, he's been, you know, all, all you can eat and eat it all night long. <laughs> so Rick and Carl, they head out to tend to the pigs. And uh, Carl says he wants to help with the f- people, you know, cleaning the fence and uh, getting rid of the walkers there. But Rick shuts that idea down. And Carl's quick to apologize. And, you know, he assures Rick he's trying to live normally. And he also asks if he's ever going to get his gun back. But before Rick can answer, uh, they hear gunshots. Uh, Girl, little girls who we let her learn are named Mika and Lizzie run out of cell block D. They're screaming for help. Uh, a couple other people run out, and you quickly hear there's walkers in D. I believe that was Glenn who said that. And everyone quickly runs to uh, to, to help out where they can. I uh, I like this scene for the way it establishes once again what what well, it kind of puts more of a stamp on what's going on with Rick and his life right now. And I like Rick's my favorite thing about this episode. I'll say that right now. We'll get to why kind of later on, but because he's shirtless. Yeah, exactly. That was the. Anyway, I wanted to, you know, bury the lead, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Rick, Rick um, I like seeing the Rick and Carl relationship here, seeing kind of what's actually going on, and that Rick has, in fact, kind of 
very much like the comic at a certain point. He's kind of rejected leadership. He's kind of out of the game right now, and he's he's very much trying to be a better father and be a a man that's not. Well, he's he's not the one that needs to kill the walkers. He's the guy that needs to do what he can to protect his family. And I like seeing how that separation's playing. I like seeing what that Carl has. He's 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 respecting his father this time around. He obviously pines for the action because he's you know he's got used to that sort of life in the the, the months prior, but. He also wants to. He wants this to work as much as Rick does, and I, I like seeing that play out. I like that we're getting this Rick, Carl relationship that we've wanted for some time. I mean, we've made comments about it in past seasons, especially when they were at the farm and Carl was constantly mouthing off and you know not listening and you know doing whatever he could to undermine Rick's authority and to to show him up. And I think after the way things went down at the end of last season and and Rick's change in himself. I really like the the relationship that we're seeing go between Rick and Carl. I th- I think it's it's for the last two episodes it's really what I think has set this show on a on a way different path for me. I I I just I wasn't on last week, but the way they're taking this is just is really really um got me captivated again. Yeah, I can't agree more Russ. We we touched on that a little bit last week. Um, you know, as far as the, um, the relationship between, you know, Carl and Rick making this like new step or this new, you know, maturation or whatever. Uh, I really like the camera work in the, um, the scene with, uh, Michonne, um, where she's a- attacked by the walkers. Um, I really liked the way it was cut and shot and everything. It just, it just really worked really well. And, um, I mean, considering it's only like 15 minutes in that we've already seen so much in this episode, you know, just like this first third, you know, uh, but I thought that was really well done that sequence. Yeah, so Michonne is heading out on a supply run right when the uh, the call that there's walkers in D comes. And so she turns around real quick. Now, we had seen this scene um, before the season started. I don't remember if it was a Comic-Con that the scene was released after or quite quickly or something like that. But we had seen the scene online. And when it came out, it seemed very strange. It was out of context. It was just Michonne riding back in on her horse kind of stumbling, falling into the zombies, and it seemed very odd and unmichonne-like. But I gotta say, seeing it in context of this was a very quick decision, her turning around, getting stopped by the walkers, and kind of, panic's not the right word, but just not having enough time to assess the situation, it worked a lot better for me than when we first saw it. I would say that the chaotic nature of the scene certainly helped this this part, but... I, I was a, I was a little confused at first at how Michonne got into the situation she was in with the other two walkers and how she couldn't handle herself. But yeah, I, I could see how kind of the forced turnaround, moving on, kind of acting on instinct a little bit more without thinking. I don't know. I, I overall I, I liked that scene. I liked how the action of that of that of the of the stuff involving Michonne played out. It was just a little like would Michonne really have gotten caught in the situation? But I didn't really dwell on that too much. Well, more than anything, I was more confused how she managed to get injured because she, like, threw the zombie off and then her ankle was sprained? I I was a little confused by that. But yeah, so Michonne, she gets trapped by a couple of zombies, she fights one off, uh, Carl shoots one off of her, and then uh, Maggie helps as well. And so Michonne is injured slightly, but she's helped up. uh, They head to the cell block. The group starts clearing out the walkers in D. Carol finds this guy, Ryan, who is Lizzie and uh, Mika, or Micah's dad. And uh, at first she sees that he is bitten on the arm, so she's preparing to amputate when she sees that he has been bitten on the back of the head as well, on the neck area. 
and so she brings his daughters in to, uh, to say goodbye to him, basically. One of the daughters, Lizzie, first says that she will do it. She'll put it, her dad out when he comes back as a zombie. She should be the one to handle it, but she freaks out as unable to, and so Carol does it instead with the girls in the room, which was kind of really messed up. I mean, not that she would do it with them in the room, but just seeing it was very messed up as a viewer. I want to talk about the Carol thing, but I want to back up a second to the just the, the clearing out of the walkers thing, because I thought that was a really well-handled action sequence. Oh, yeah, everybody's getting involved, even Rick, but he, Rick's more staying away from the violence angle and just helping people, but uh, Glenn's stabbing people in the head, and uh, zombies in the head, not just regular people, and Daryl shooting people with arrows. Yeah, I think because, like, last week was more of, like, spectacle of seeing something like walkers falling through a ceiling, and that's, like, cool and everything. This week, we it just felt like this kind of organized chaos going on in terms of the choreography of the scene, in terms of how the camera was showing us things. Like, it... it this episode is directed by Guy Furland. He's done a lot of episodes of The Shield, and that's a show that's known for kind of its, its kind of gritty in the momentness. And I saw that in this episode of The Walking Dead, and I really liked it. I mean, and plus, Daryl grabbing a kid, saving them, and then in the other hand, shooting a zombie in the head. That's just like, that's, if Daryl fans got a kick out of that, I know they did. Like, that's just awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in regards to the uh, the Carol part of this, where she's taking care of the father with the girls around. I like the setup of this overall. Like, I like the fact that Carol, I mean, obviously we're giving her a lot more to do, and that's great, and I like that she's going to have some kids to look after. I mean, there's, like, there's a plot there, that I, and I, I like that that's established, and that's going to be something that happens this season. That said, I felt it was kind of clunky getting this stuff going. I mean, it's the, the merging both the death of this father with, like, a handy activity to help the kids learn how to use their knives. I get the idea of that, but it's like, all right, that's a little much for this first situation, this first interaction as mother to these children. And then later on, we get a kind of a a little mini speech from her about how she's weak and uh, don't name the walker or like the the walk. You don't care about this walker. You meant meant that to be for your father. It's just this kind of stuff where it's kind of, it it feels very unsubtle and talking directly to the audience about what the show is and how people need to not be weak and stuff. And it's just a, it didn't fit for me overall, even though I, I do like what Elizabeth McBride's been bringing to the role as Carol and everything. And I, I just, I like the setup. I wasn't a big a fan of the execution. I kind of agree. I think if they'd taken like a step back and not gone that far, it would have been a better scene. It would have had more impact rather than her trying to make it an objective lesson. I didn't mind the first part, but the, the later scenes I had some issues with. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll get to those. Come on in, girls. It's time to kill your father. I was curious where she was going to stick the knife, too. It was like, all right, what's the... Oh, right in the ear, I guess, or wherever. It's weird seeing Carol's character kind of take on some of the attributes of Andrea from the comic. You know what I mean? I mean, they have to, it seems, at this point. I mean, now they don't have Andrea around. You know. They don't have Andrea, and they don't have exactly a high volume of female characters that are, you know, portrayed as tough women. Or right. these women that can handle themselves and not be reliant on Daryl or Rick to save them. Right. So Rick and Daryl and Glenn and the group are going through cell block D, trying to figure out exactly what happened, and they find Patrick, and then they find another guy who's a zombie in his cell, but his cell was shut and locked, where if not locked, the door had not been opened. And they, they kind of start noticing that both Patrick and this guy had the bloodshot eyes, and Rick had seen one of those zombies last episode. In fact, I think Aaron was the one who even pointed it out on this episode, maybe Jim, but somebody pointed it out. I that that, that that zombie had been uh, had been focused on quite heavily. 
And so they start putting two and two together. In fact, the guy who they find who was not bitten, his name's Charlie, he had actually been locking himself in the cell due to sleepwalking. So there's no way he was bitten. So we got Rick, Herschel, Dr. Subramarian, Daryl, and Bob Stuckey. They're trying to figure out what's happening. No bites, no scratches. But Dr. Subramarian recognizes the blood in the eyes and he says it's an indicator of certain strains of the flu, which I think we had guessed last week that that was a possibility. Looks like we were right. Um, And from what uh, Greg Nicotero said on Talking Dead, they're basing it uh, quite heavily on the 1918 flu, which I think is the Spanish flu, although I might be a year or two off. But they were both really bad flus. Um, and, and the 1918 flu would kill you in a day. You'd get sick. By the next morning, you'd be dead. So this is based off of real-life stuff, and it's super scary. Yeah, it's uh, like H1N1. Yeah, that's <laughs> that sucks. That's, I have no real comment on that. I like that they're able to kind of piece together that it's a flu, and it's like, we go, okay, now we got to figure out what to do from here. But, I mean, yeah, that's that's not good. And it's a great twist, because this isn't something we've even seen in the comics, but it makes perfect sense, and is a really cool idea. What happens when something as simple as the flu enters this postmodern, post-apocalypse life, where you can't really fight it, and if you die, you're a threat? It's very cool stuff. And they they connect it to the pig, Violet, who died last episode, uh, the sick boar we saw in the woods last episode... And uh, so they're, they're putting it all together. It seems to be transmitted by an, uh, by animals and such, just like the regular flu in the real world in the here and now. So they figure anyone who's been infected or who could be infected, we're going to separate them from everybody else. we got to try to keep this from spreading as much as possible. People who didn't go into D need to stay separate, and uh, hopefully we can beat this without losing too many people. And we were told by Mr. Nicotero on Talking Dead that at the beginning of last week's episode, we had, I believe it was 44 people in the prison, and they lost about 14 or 15 this episode. So they're down to right around 30. That was quick. Alive. Yeah. <laughs> less, mou- less mouths to feed. That, hey, it's it's a legitimate, I almost said strategy, that's camping, um, but it's a legitimate <laughs> concern. Uh, uh, we got to see the first meeting of the council, too, which was kind of cool. But right. no robes and no gavel. They did have yeah. a sick popsicle stick lamp tchotchke thing, though, that was oh, cool. Oh, yeah, that was cool. I say cool with quotes and a big irony sign, but still, interesting looking. I was really dis- well. You had an irony singleton sign. Um, I was I, I was really disappointed in the in the uh, the lack of songs or like any kind of chanting in this council, let, let alone robes. But I mean, there weren't overall, even any candles, from what I could tell. I know the lights are all like whatever. I mean, there are no stone cutters. I'll tell you that they're, they're doing mm-hmm. they're doing councils wrong as far just, as I'm concerned. Just reasonable choices and friendly agreements. I mean, come on, guys, what are we doing here? <laughs> So, like we said, we got the council meeting with everybody discussing what they're going to do. They're going to quarantine everybody, put them in cell block A, which just happens to be death row. Um, irony was not, was lost on them, apparently. Uh, they hear coughing outside the room. Uh, they find out it's Karen uh, who's walking with Tyrese, and so they tell her they're going to quarantine her off in the tombs, which is, uh, which is far away from everybody else, until they can find out what the cause is. Sasha and Karen both have to calm Tyrese, and they say it's necessary, and he's very upset about it. Um, But Karen also mentions as they leave that David was coughing as well. So Carl and Maggie are carrying Michonne back inside when Rick approaches them. um, And Carl tells Rick what happened. Rick tells Carl what happened inside. 
Um, and they, you know, they assure Maggie that Herschel and Beth are fine and Glenn's fine. They're going to stay away from them for now. They got to make sure that baby Judith is fine and doesn't get infected. So they're all working out all the uh, logistics of that. I really should have known ahead of time that Carl was going to be a little tattletale later on, given that he immediately told his father about shooting the, the walker off Michonne, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, we later see Beth dressing Michonne's wound on her ankle. And Michonne's kind of upset about being injured in the first place. She says, you know, Maggie and Carl should have left her. Uh, you know, it was her mistake. She was foolish. But Beth says that that attitude is foolish. People get hurt. Um, it's all part of living in a group. You just kind of have to deal with it. And she qu- calls into question, what do you call a parent who lost a child? Because you've got orphans, you've got widows and widowers. But what do you call a parent who loses a child? And Michonne uh, clearly has a uh, vehement re- reaction to that. She doesn't say anything, but we can tell just from looking at her. Strong reaction inside. And uh, later, Beth is singing to baby Judith as she carries it around. Uh, but baby Judith pukes carrots on Beth. And so Beth asks uh, Michonne to hold her while she takes care of the mess. And Michonne doesn't want to, but then Beth tells her uh, she needs to, and she gives it right to her. And Michonne looks at Judith holds her and eventually holds her very close and starts to cry quite deeply. So the the assumption we're left to make is that Michonne at some point lost a child, but we're given no uh, clear information on this. It's just what we're inferring at this point. I have um, I have no doubt that Michonne, yeah, did have a child at some point, and I'd like to think that if anything, the two um, her two pets that she had were probably responsible for her loss of said child, and probably before they even became walkers, um, if I had to put things together in that manner. I'd like to, Ooh, you think like a um, train-spotting like situation or something? Um, either some kind of sacrifice or some kind of some kind of situation that, that separated her from her child. Wait, you think the they that... sacrificed her baby before the zombie outbreak? I think there's... Not before the zombie outbreak, but I think there's some kind of situation... Oh, okay. I thought that's what you said, and I was no. like, what kind of crazy world do you think she comes from? <laughs> I'm just glad they're giving Denai Gira something to do besides scowl. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm so glad to get, they're giving her a bit of an emotional range this season. After last season, where all we got was Grumpy Cat uh, from her. I'm glad they're giving her a little bit more to do with the character, a little more acting, you know. Um, I, I, I like this scene. You know, I guess, I mean, I have baby here of my own, so maybe it hit a little closer to home than most people, but I did like this scene. I gotta say, I was in the right mood to watch this episode because I got pretty. I got. I was emotional during that scene. It, it worked on me. Like it, it may. It may be Bear McCurry's use of music, and I think he did a very good job in this episode for this scene and another scene coming up. But it th- this this episode did, did a lot to kind of make me just into what was going on on different levels, and I, I was very much enjoying that. I do think yeah, the show giving her something is great. I mean, besides just like, hey, now she smiles sometimes. Having like. Not necessarily giving, laying out the backstory for us, but like giving us something to work with. That's that's good too. And I don't even need, I wouldn't even need, need to necessarily hear about like what actually happened in her past. Just knowing that there's something there that already like gives me confidence in the Michaud character on this show. Absolutely. So we then catch back up with the Carol, Mika, and Lizzie storyline. Um, they're over by the fence looking at the zombies, including the one with the nickname tag. So they're talking about that, and Carol has some problems with them naming the zombies. But she also wants to talk to Lizzie about her dad, Ryan. Um, she said, you know, your dad asked me to take care of you guys when after he died, and, you know, I'm happy to do that. And then she says very bluntly to her, to Lizzie, that you're weak, and in this world you can't be, and you can't lose your nerve when you have to put somebody like your dad out of his misery before he turns into a zombie. You've got to do it. Um, and Lizzie begins crying. She says they killed him, etc. 
And Carol realizes she's not even talking about her dad. They're talking about Nick, the zombie, who had that name tag. And so Lizzie runs away, and in a very weird moment, her little sister, Mika, says, Lizzie isn't weak, she's just funny in the head. Now, we'll come back to this again, because there's another scene with them, but this was just a weird scene. Like, I love Carol in the show, and I love that she's becoming tough, but I did not... I don't want to say I didn't follow what she was trying to do in this scene, but in this scene and the scene that comes up later on, I was not on her side. Like, I I thought she overstepped quite a few lines here. Again, I just, I feel it's kind of clunky setup for something that will probably pay for, that will most definitely pay off later in terms of getting these kids under the care of Carol and then establishing Carol as a bigger role in this season. I I get what, I think I get what they're trying to do. I just don't think it's pulled off as well as it could be. I mean, I, I hope they're heading for, like, a Ben and Billy storyline, and I've talked about that before with these two, because um, it'd be super creepy, but, yeah, the setup is super clunky, at least in these couple scenes. I think with Carol, I mean, we all know Carol has a lot of baggage, and I think maybe this is starting to be the culmination of that baggage. Uh, she lost her kid and had to watch somebody else put her down. Last season, with everything that happened to her getting lost, maybe she felt like she was too weak or that others weren't strong enough to make sure that she was okay and that this is just her reaction to that. She's toughened herself up and feels it's her job to toughen everybody else up. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like like Aaron said, I think we're going to see this play out more, but I just took this as more based on her. You know, we've seen how the recent events have affected Rick and how he's changed from being this aggressive leader type to being pulled back and taking care of his kids, maybe we're just kind of seeing the opposite with Carol. Right, that makes that makes sense. And I, again, yeah, I I, I get what the I agree with you. I get what the point of that scene is. It's just in watching it, yeah, I, I just thought it was it, it it wasn't as effective as it could have been overall. I think, despite the efforts of Liz McBride, who I think is terrific in this role, I think she's among the better actors on this show but in general. So I mean, she's she's certainly giving it her all. She's certainly trying. It's just like the scene. Didn't quite the the kind of the series of scenes involving her and these kids didn't play out as well as I think the show wanted it to in my eyes. And I actually thought the kids were pretty decent as well. It was just I don't know the writing or the pacing or something about it didn't work, but it wasn't the acting. I just thought it might. Be, I think you know Aaron might have hit upon it there that it, the dialogue itself seemed kind of clunky. I mean, there are ways to tell those things to children that were a lot less you know blunt as uh, you know as Carol put it for put it forth for them. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, it just didn't quite work. You're right. I, I, it made me very sympathetic to her. Like I felt for her that something that she's damaged and, and something's not right with her. So I, I don't know to me, to me, it, I guess it worked more so than, than it did for you guys. And by her, you mean Carol? Yes. Okay. I just wasn't sure if you're referring to either of the girls. I was into the first scene involving her with the dad. Like, that was just legit sad to me. <laughs> like, this, like, oh, thing yeah. happening. And yeah. then it just kind of went a little too far with the, by the way, you should probably kill your father. It's like, but the concept of that, of her dealing with this guy that's, like, on his last limb and, like, get my daughters for me. You need to care for them now. Like, that stuff worked on me for, like, at an emotional level. But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. Just the way it played out from there is like, yeah, okay. We're In future episodes, I'm going to really appreciate how this, this, this happens. So. It just seemed like, you know, okay, we just killed your dad about an hour ago. Now you're worthless and weak, you know. It's like, you know, give the kid a, a minute to breathe. Uh, that, I don't know. It just seemed a little blunt, uh, you know, considering the circumstances. But, you know, I haven't been in a zombie apocalypse. I don't know what the etiquette is there. So, 
So Daryl's digging graves for the many people who died, and Rick comes by to help. And we can see that their relationship is still very amicable, even though Rick stepped down from the leadership role. Um, they get along, and, and Daryl says that you know, he, Rick's earned his time away from being a leader with all the things that he did for the group. He kind of saved their lives on many occasions. Um, and so they're getting along quite well. When all of a sudden, Maggie screams for them to follow her, and we see that a whole big group of walkers is... Uh, pushing in on the fence. They're all kind of at one central position. There's another smaller group at another position that's doing something similar, but they're they're crowding up on the fence in one place so much that it's starting to push the fence in. Glenn, Sasha, Maggie, Rick, Daryl, they all go over and they start trying to push the fence back, kill as many zombies as they can. Uh, Rick is very reluctant at first to start killing any zombies, but he eventually does and seems to let off a little bit of steam, which is good, I think. And then Rick gets an idea. He's going to go uh, Charlotte's Web and Babe Pig in the City on those zombies. He tells Daryl to get the truck. They load up the piglets. They go outside the gate, and then Rick starts killing, well, not even killing, but just cutting one pig, pig after another, throwing the piglets at the zombies, driving a little further away from the fence, and leading them away with some oinking breadcrumbs. My favorite zombie kill was of the week, by the way, was in this uh, this sequence, with the one zombie that literally pushes on the chain link fence so hard it splits their skull. Oh yeah, that was. It looked yes. like it looked yeah. like a face going through a cheese grater, or like. <laughs> yeah, that I was that my in... favorite. That was my favorite zombie kill of the week for sure. I had that in consideration, but I wasn't sure if he actually died or it was just like, oh, well, I pushed myself through there, so I went with an actual zombie kill I saw. But it's a, it's certainly a good point. <laughs> I agree, it's a good, it's a, it's a solid, solid division. And I thought that was Nicotero. Actually, I was looking at the face, like, is that Nicotero zombie? Like that could have been. I uh, mean, it was yeah. it. I don't even know if it was a real person and not just a puppet that had Fair. stuff made to go through it. So I didn't even assume it was a person. Could have been a but, model um, of his head. I mean, they have to they have to get model heads from somewhere. <laughs> I, I like that even though they used digital blood for the piglets, in that third and final one with the blood spray all over Rick's face, that was. I mean, I get the I get the uh, metaphor of it and all that, the symbolism and all that, but it just looked really good on top of that. Him yeah. getting sprayed with the blood in the face was a very effective visual, I thought. It it added to to Andrew Lincoln's work in this this kind of scene. I I think this I mean this episode in general, I think he Andrew Lincoln's good all the way as Rick, but I think this scene it's probably some of his best work in this series, I think. Just kind of and it's basically silence. Like it it relies on him using his expressions and his actions to kind of show the state that he's in as he's doing this thing where it's this very and they're just pigs. Like, they're, I mean, it's not like they're the closest thing to him, but he's he's doing something to an innocent creature in order to lure zombies away from the greater good, essentially. And so, seeing him delve back into this world of Walker killing and getting his hands dirty in order to do to you know stop things from essentially essentially getting after his family and his friends, like it's 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 tough for him. And you see that on his face, and you see that work in that sequence and the and again the music by bear mcqueary is really well well done and like i as much as like yeah it's it's kind of piling more angst ridden rick onto the series it's really effective and i just i just hands down love this whole sequence well i mean on the subject of the pigs beyond the the fact that pigs are genetically very similar to humans and all that kind of stuff this is what rick has adopted as his place in life you know even when they had that scene earlier with him and carl where Michonne says, why aren't you wearing your hat anymore? And he says, because it's not a farming hat. Granted, that's Carl, but he's getting this from Rick, and Rick has made farming and his family the two central tenants of his life at this point, and for the last six or seven months, we're led to believe. And now he's forced to, not in just one fell swoop, do something that sacrifices it, but 
He's got to swing that knife three times on three individual piglets, cover himself in that blood. It's almost a baptism you could go for, or it's, you know, it's all these things. And then he's got to burn the pen down later, and it's he has to take these slow, methodical steps to destroy this this thing he's built up as his purpose in life, one step at a time. And it's whatever thing you've adopted in your life is your purpose. If you have to destroy it like that, piece by piece, it's it's rough. And I thought it was super effective. Yeah, I agree. I it's it's very it's very much showing you that in a very obvious manner. But I did like that overall. Like that's the only reason I don't like this episode more. Like some of the Carol scenes and some other stuff. That we'll get to, but just kind of like, okay, we're, this is really hitting you with Rick's got to make a change at this point. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the old Western where the gunfighter has to hang up his guns. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and become a, a rancher. You know, yeah, I mean, the one thing. Oh, it's he, Shane and the Stump. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, um, it, it reminded me of that kind of thing. And, you know, him burning down the pig pen at the end of it, you know, and uh, talking, giving Carl back his gun and taking his you know, a uh, gun belt and what have you, it just totally reminded me of that uh, that kind of story. You know, or the or the samurai who has to put up his sword and then you know take it back down after you know plunging to be a life, you know, life of peace. It just totally reminded me of that kind of you know call back to that kind of uh, you know plot device or whatever. But uh, I agree, Andrew Lincoln is really just when I think game. I'm out, they pull me back. Yeah, in. exactly. <laughs> Andrew Lincoln's game is, is is really is really good this season. It's a great cap to that scene too when he has to when he gives Carl his gun and then puts his own gun back on just the way it's kind of shot. It's like, yep. Oh yeah. Let's yeah. get back into this guys. Yep. And then the the scene earlier where Daryl kind of puts the bug in his ear about what was the line, uh, you know, when the shit hits the fan, you're the one with the holding the shovel, uh, something like that, about, you know, about trying to get him to, you know, take back yeah. you know, more of a leadership yeah. role. Now, somewhere around here we have a scene with Carl who is um constructing crosses and other I, I symbols, grave markers, basically, that he's doing his best to make them appropriate for the beliefs of the person they will be used for, which I thought was very thoughtful of him, um, if maybe a bit overcomplicated once they're dead. But regardless, at that point, Carol comes in to talk to him and basically says, hey, remember that whole knife lesson thing that you walked in on the other day? You're not going to tell your dad about that, right? Right. Tell him you're not going to tell your dad about that. And at first he seems like he's not going to, and then she keeps pushing the issue. And by the, by the end of the scene, it's very clear that he's going to tell his dad. And I couldn't help but wonder if, did Carol really want him deep down to tell his dad that she kept pushing it so hard? Like, it felt to me like at the beginning of that scene, he had almost forgotten about it and wasn't going to say anything. But she just kept pushing and clawing at it and, and, you know, piece by piece to the point where it was weighing on him to talk to, to Rick. No, I... I... I think the scene went on too long. Honestly, I did that. I think I think we got the point across, and yet they pushed it anyway to make it more obvious that Carl was going to kind of say something, and then he did. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, she didn't need to press the issue, um, but yeah, the show, the, the the drama of the show depended on this kind of scene for the payoff later, I guess, in their eyes. So that's what they went for, right? But I, I didn't think that she was doing it for the sake of getting Rick Carl to actually tell Rick now. Well, no, not on the surface, but I was wondering if, like, deep down, there was some piece of her that wanted him to tell her or something like that. I was probably reading too much into it because, like you said, it was a clunky scene. Like, unfortunately, all the Carol scenes tonight, except for that first one, including the next one, with his, which is, again, Carol, Lizzie, and Mika. Uh, they're at the fence looking at the walkers again, and 
Carol, you know, says to her, you know, you need to be strong in, in letting go of your father and not running away from your fear of the walkers, but to face him. She puts a flower in Lizzie's hair, and then Lizzie takes the knife from Carol's hand and puts it in her belt in kind of a bonding moment. But again, aside from that first Carol scene this episode, which was great, all these scenes with her seem to be super clunky, and it wasn't any of the acting um, or directing it. It really seemed to be the writing. And, and just in those scenes, everything else super strong, those scenes just stinkers, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what else to say either. <laughs> you just kind of see where they're trying to drive the train, you know? Yeah. It's not, I don't even, I don't know who to, I guess it's the writing, and I, I'm always, I'm always getting to blame the writing, you know what I mean? But I mean, it, I just, but, it, but it's I not know. like the rest of the writing was bad. Like, I'd be, I'd be first to jump off the, on the writing if the writing across the board was just not working, but something about those scenes in particular didn't work, where everything else was really solid. Yeah, so I just, you know, hopefully it pays off later on. And again, and I'm skating around this, so it's not to spoil anyone. I kind of think this is heading towards a Billy and Ben storyline, and I hope so. And that'll kind of make it worth it, but still, it's super clunky in getting there. If it approached it on certain levels that the comic approaches these kind of scenes, like, I'd be, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be very excited by that possibility, I guess. So Carl goes out and finds Rick disassembling the pig pen, which I, I guess they were doing it to destroy any of the, um, the you know, infection that still might be around. But I thought, kind of thought it was odd. They could have saved the pig pen and used it for something else. Anyway, Rick is disassembling it. He's covering it in gas. He's talking with Carl, says, you know, they need to stay away from Judith to keep her get, from getting infected with uh, the flu. Carl tells Rick all about Carol's uh, knife teachings to Rick. And then he says, but I hope you don't confront her about it. I think you should let her keep doing it. Rick then goes over to this toolbox he's got. He pulls out Carl's gun and gives it to him. He pulls out his own gun and holster, puts him on. And uh, he's covered in blood. He pulls off his shirt, which is just soaked through, and uh, throws it on the burning pile of, uh, of wood that was the pig pen just a few minutes before. And uh, Rick is reborn, maybe not necessarily as Sherrick Rick, but he is Farmer Rick no more as he walks away from the trash can with the Spider-Man suit in it. If anyone follows that Spider-Man reference from 40 years ago. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to be returning that one, though. <laughs> Very famous image. And finally... And, and not to skip over that scene. Very good could, scene. I thought it worked very well. Um, we kind of talked about it before, but I could add a little something to it. Uh, Go if ahead. If um, unless like one of the English doctors on Grey's Anatomy has a shirtless scene this week, I think we got the best pale English body shirtless scene of all of, all, of, the, of the, rest <laughs> the rest of the week. So. Luckily, he had the the blood to act as some rouge to keep himself from looking too pale, um, and he's actually gotten pretty tan, I think. But uh, yeah, shirtless Rick. Hope you're happy, ladies. Yeah, take take that, Dixon's Vixens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're starting a shirtless war. It's skins versus skins. It was good to see that Rick. You know, it, I think we're starting to get a good balance with Rick. I think for a while he was too far one way, and then he kind of went too far the other way. And then, uh, you know, when Lori died, he just went crazy. And he's trying to find a balance. And I think, I think you know, you guys are saying he's walking away from the farm. He's not going to be the farmer anymore. I think this is the road to Rick finding some sort of balance with his life that he can't he can't afford to go one extreme or the other that he's going to have to find some balance um and part of that balance is is becoming who he was uh tempered with who he wants to be and who he needs to be for his son so 
I'm I'm he said more without saying anything in this episode than in a long time. I think you know he's he's gone through phases, you know, like right after Lori died where he didn't really say a whole lot and just kind of had the crazy look. He was emoting a lot more Andrew Lincoln was in this episode than I think I've seen him maybe in the entire show. And I I just his performance in this in this episode was just outstanding. I mean, I I can't think of a I mean, we've all had the cheery Rick moment, you know, at the end of, I guess, what, the end of season two when it was, um, or the, the halfway point of season three when it was, you know, the, basically the dictatorship thing going on. But I guess it was the end of season two. But this is um, this is just a whole different level for, for me with, with him as a character. And, and again, just, just the way he's acting with Carl, I just, I'm, to me, this show has just taken off this season in a, in a completely different direction. I mean, I think anybody who's maybe lost their way with it that like it's, you know, was turned off by season three or checked out. I I think if they, if they just came back in at season four, regardless of when they left it, I think they would see the show in a whole new light. Now, granted we're only two episodes in, but it, it's just for me personally, it's just really elevated itself. And I got to say my favorite thing about this, Rick, you know, this next stage in the Rick transformation my favorite thing about it is that they did it in two episodes. They, yes. you know, in, in previous seasons, this would have been a whole half season arc or a whole season arc. And here they got it out of the way. They set it up in one episode. They knocked it down in the next. It was done well. It was done quickly. Not that it was done quickly in a way where it was super verbose and they just got a lot of stuff done. Because like you already said, he did a lot in this episode and last week's episode, not saying much at all. They just got it done effectively with as few words as possible and just got it done. And I was super happy about that. They didn't drag it out at all. Unlike I did in my explanation. <laughs> yeah, I uh, obviously I had issues kind of last week with Rick's kind of plot line. And I did reference the fact that I'd probably be seeing how this would play out in a future episode and here we have it i mean this is we we had kind of we we spun some time with rick last week which i still have like issues with but i mean overall given that how it plays out in this episode i i like that i was able to know where rick was last time around now this time we have kind of a you know we have an answer to that and have a development on that character on we have character development which is i mean that's something that i'm always complaining about on the show and that actually happens this episode and it helps that andrew lincoln's just you know kicking ass doing it so it worked out for me just fine here right right absolutely and our final scene of the episode we have tyrese going to visit karen uh in the tombs to see if she is okay he's bringing her some flowers and she's not there. But there is a blood streak on the floor leading from her cell and from another cell heading down the hallway. And so he follows it and he arrives outside following the, uh, the, the streaks of blood and finds two burnt and charred corpses. Uh, and we see from the uh, bracelet on one of them that one of them is Karen. And we're told in the, walk, in the Talking Dead that the other is David, the other guy who is sick. So either they turned and were burned by someone there uh, who's just helping out and keeping the disease from spreading, where they were murdered. And that is where we end this episode with, uh, with Tyrese on his knees, very unhappy. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Do you guys think we got enough with Karen to really set her up? I think I'm happy with the amount we got of her uh, this week, last week, and the few times we saw her in season two, that she didn't just feel like a red shirt being killed off. But I've heard that some people just considered her a red shirt and didn't didn't really feel anything when she was gone. I thought it worked for me, though. 
No, it worked perfectly for me. I think it works in the same way that uh, issue of the comic would work, where they'd kill off a character that we'd got to know just enough so you'd actually care when they died. I can't say that Karen's obviously, she's not like a favorite character of mine or what. I was like, oh man, I can't wait for this Karen story to take off. But at the same time, I was genuinely surprised by the fact that we killed off this character in the second episode. Uh, we had just enough time spent with them to know that this was like an established person and that she's like had a co-starring role in the show now, and now she's dead. I mean, it, that's how... That's the thing about the comic I always enjoy, how there's kind of sudden deaths and you don't expect them, and like, oh, that's terrible, even though the story works as well. Um, so killing Karen off, you know, right away, that was sad. The second I saw Tyrese having flowers in his hand, I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think this is going to end well, and sure enough, that happened. But then yeah. the the result of that, of being her being like burned horribly with David next to her, is like, wow, that that's even worse. I thought she was going to be like a zombie or something, like like you know just chewing on david or something like that nope she's just completely burned it's like uncle owen and aunt beru tyrese walked in on it's like god why did this have to happen yeah did that confuse you guys at first in thinking that that was done purposely i think it very well could have been done purposefully we don't know yet i guess looking back at it the fact that there was the blood streak on the hall and if somebody did that on purpose you think they would clean that up and not leave that especially if you're trying to if it was done for the purpose of not spreading infection but yeah, it just it had me a little confused at first. Obviously, we're going to get answers to this in the coming episodes. But I mean, I think there's there's different ways to interpret what actually happened. Whether she turned it like they turned they died, turned into zombies, walked out, and someone burned them after. Or they did it on purpose. They killed them in the cell and then burned them and dragged them off. Like there's there's a number of different ways that this scene that the that the events that happened could have played out. I mean, someone could have walked away getting something to clean up the stuff than Tyrese walking. Like I I mean, we'll see we'll see what happened. But I yeah, I was more of just intrigued by what mystery person is behind these dastardly schemes in the prison, which I do have a theory on that I'll get to if you want to hear it. Do we think it's the same person feeding the rats to the zombies who burned them, or is it a completely separate thing? I think it's the same. And is this person a mole for the governor? Is this person a mole person? Well, that could be too. (laughs) I'm sorry, I keep going back to comic books. I I have a crazy theory if you want to hear it. Go ahead. Oh, I, I think the obvious answer would be Bob Stuckey, who... That's what I was going to say. But, but at the same not. time, I, I think well, I think that's because that's the obvious answer. So obviously that can't be right, right? Um, and I mean, I'm not going to say this, Walking is the smartest show on TV, but it's not, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not the dumbest. It's kind of in the middle. So this is a wild, wild theory, but maybe we have kind of a someone wants a lot of power on the council type situation... And it's someone on the council that's doing this in order to give themselves more power over how the prison gets managed. And if I had to point a finger at someone on the council, I'd probably be pointed at Herschel. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, this kind of fits in this weird set of logic to me in terms of crazy theories. See, for me, if I'm thinking it's somebody from the council, I'm thinking it's Sasha because she doesn't think this lady's right for her brother. Or it's Carol because she's all of a sudden crazy pants for some reason. That's fair as well. There's, but I, I do think that maybe it's someone on the council. That's that's a guess. That's my crazy guess theory that I have. I was I was thinking the, the Bob theory too, but then you know, if you if you it has to be someone. If you think it is definitely someone on the council, I, I have to go with Jordan, and I would think Sasha. Maybe she's trying to save Tyrese's life because he knew that if Karen was infected and he kept seeing her, that it would kill him too. You know. So, gentlemen, what did we rate this episode? I'll give it a 4.75. And the only reason I didn't give it a 5 is just because I'm trying to pull back some so that I don't overrate myself. 
um, or overrate the shows, I should say. But this could be one of, if not my favorite episode of the series so far. I just, there's just something about this episode that really struck me on multiple levels. I just think there was so much going on. There were so many great performances. Um, it really had me thinking about motivations. Um, I thought this, this episode gave us an awesome Daryl moment. I think a couple awesome Daryl moments, actually. Um, namely the one with him digging the graves out there with Rick. And then that little bit with him and Carol when she asked if he was doing all right and, and just the look on his face. But I, I just really, this one just fired on all cylinders for me. I mean, sometimes, you know, TV hits me and, and it really kind of, you know, an episode will leave an impact. And I think this is just one of those that when I look back on this show, this is going to be one of the episodes that stands out for me personally. I would give it a four. Four out of five busters. I like this episode. I liked it a bit more than last week's episode. I thought the, I mean, obviously I talked about Andrew Lincoln. I think he did tremendous work this time around, maybe his best in the series so far. I did have some issues with the Carol stuff. I didn't mention this too much, but Beth is not the greatest actress in my eyes, and that kind of bothered me a little bit, but I did like the Michonne kind of setup there, and I mean, the, the very creepiness of the opening sequence, I thought that was very well handled. So yeah, good four out of five. I'm going to 4.5, because I don't do quarters uh, like Ross. Um, <laughs> 4.5, I, I, I liked it better than last week. Uh, I really, I, I like the fact that a lot's going on, but it doesn't really get lost in the, in the, you know, things don't get lost in the, in the crutch of all these characters in the ensemble each having a moment. And, uh, I thought, uh, other than the dialogue being a little, um, you know, clunky in a few places, uh, like Aaron said, those Carol scenes didn't ring true for me either. Uh, I thought it was a really, really strong episode, a four and a half out of five for me. I will also give it a four and a half out of five. I liked, uh, I really liked just about everything in this episode, but those Carol scenes, except for the first one, really drug it down for me. They just seemed weird. Uh, again, the acting was fine. The directing was fine. It was just something about the writing was way off. And despite the fact that I really like badass Carol, this was more crazy pants Carol, and I don't dig that. So 4.5 for me. I don't want to sound down on it, though. I love the episode, just except for those handful of scenes. And luckily, it was like the C storyline and not something major in this episode. So I can forgive it quite a bit. Jim, what did our listeners on Facebook have to say about this episode? Because I know there was a lot of chatter. My phone was blowing up last night with comments. Everything seems uh, very, pretty pretty positive for this episode. Uh, Newt Knight got the first one out of the gate here. By the way, if you want to join our Facebook group, it's the Walking Dead TV podcast uh, Facebook group. There's a lot of good discussion and cool uh, news items and, uh, and links and great things there. So definitely check that out if you're on the Facebooks, and most of you are. Uh, New Knight, six out of five busters with a lot of exclamation points. Uh, whoa, what an episode intense. Um, Terry Bernard, I really liked it. The season has a different feel than the other three, and it is a good feel. Uh, Brandy Lobster had one word review. Whoa. I guess that's like our Keanu Reeves whoa. Whoa. Uh, Lisa Gonzalez. So it taught her Kung Fu? Is that what we can uh, derive from that? I don't know. We'd have to ask her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be 100% pure adrenaline. Anyway, um, <laughs> the acting in this episode was exceptionally good, said Elisa or was Gonzalez. It a, or was it a Joey, Joey Lawrence? Whoa. 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 <laughs> I think that's that'd be it. That. <laughs> um, Michonne with a little ass kicker killed me. Uh, that's from Elisa Gonzalez. Five out of five. Uh, a perennial Mike Jones. Four killer kids out of five. Notice Beth ducked out when Michonne had Judith. Um, he also says that Beth is the pint-sized slasher. It's a, a Borderlands reference, if I'm not mistaken. Brad Milo, 
Remember him, guys? <laughs> uh, where's Scott Gimple been the past three years? This show rocks now. Uh, thank you, Brad, for, for writing in. Brian Arnold gave us four out of five pictures of Maggie sleeping. Whoa, that's a little creepy. Uh, Michael Santana, five crispy ex-girlfriends out of five. Wow, if these two episodes are any indication, this will be the season we always knew was possible. A way to go, Mr. Gimple. Everybody seems to love the new showrunner. And um, I love how sick and twisted our listeners are, apparently. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> um, Mary Turpecki gave it a, a four and a half. Um, I was going to give this episode a solid four until the scene with Michonne and Judith. But now it's a 4.5. Uh, Max so for four. Where in the hell has Scott Gimple been hiding out my whole life out of five? We just, uh, overwhelmingly uh, positive reviews. Uh, Christopher Levine, four. That'll, pig, that'll do, pigs. That'll do out of five. Uh, I agree with the other comments about the sudden girly girl Michonne from the love of God. That thing on your back is not a hobo stick. Uh, that's a good point, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, overwhelmingly positive for this episode. People are really enjoying it. And like I said, if you want to get in on the conversation, it's the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group. And we're, we all post there several times a week. So I'll, I'll just say something snarky, then post like a smiley face. So, you know, And write-ups. <laughs> I do the write-ups also. <laughs> they, those take a couple hours. <laughs> Now, so last week we talked about the webisodes that took place about a month ago, uh, came out between seasons three and four. However, as you heard, if you listened to last week's episode, my mic decided to go wonky about uh, three quarters of the way through the episode. So I cut that portion entirely because I did a lot of talking and I really didn't want to uh, subject anyone to that. It's bad enough you have to listen to me talk in the first place, let alone with a really bad mic connection. So we're going to talk about that again this week. Uh, The Oath was a three-part webisode series. The first one we had was uh, six parts. Uh, last year's was four. This one's three. Um, it's mostly just three actors. I don't want to give away too much about what happened in it because it was pretty cool. It uh, filled in some plot holes I didn't even realize were plot holes or hadn't really thought about in a long time that I thought were very neat. Um, the acting was probably better than the other two of the three main actors. One was really good and in it the least. One was pretty decent, and one who was unfortunately in it the most was the weakest of the three, in my opinion. But I liked it quite a bit. What'd you guys think of the oath? I uh, I wrote about this on the H H W L O D site, and uh, I I like the oath overall. I think it's the best of the web series. I uh, I like the acting overall, uh, all three of them. I that helped that I knew all I, I know who all three actors are. The guy is actually uh, Kurt Russell's son. Um, Real, okay, I can see that, but I did not know that. Yeah, and um. The, the the older actress, um, Ellen Green, I, she was in Little Shop of Horrors. I like that actress quite a bit. It's happy to see her on here. And Ashley Bell, the uh, main female, she was in uh, the those last those last exorcism movies. And uh, you know, whatever. Regardless, I I mean, I think the writing this time is a lot is is better all around. I like the kind of if the last one was more actiony, the cold storage uh, web series. This one was certainly it was it was a uh, more kind of slower paced and. Uh, a thinker in terms of dealing with essentially euthanasia in the world of The Walking Dead, and if that's a a way that makes a, a course of action that's worth taking. And I, I, I mean, I, I like the kind of what it was presenting, what it was bringing to the table. And it was a overall, I thought it was a strong web series. Shorter, it's only three episodes as opposed to four last time around. I think like six the first uh, web right, series. Right, exactly. But, but I mean, the first one I had problems with because it was. The the acting was just all over the place. The second one was a little more over the top, but it still had some cool stuff in it. This one I thought just like it had a good idea and it played it out, and it had a cool. I like I like the closing uh, bit. 
bit of this, of what it kind of sets up in the scheme of the series. Yeah, I saw it coming a mile away, but I was still really happy to see it. Yes, So I it agree. didn't bother me. And I should have said, I, I didn't mention it before, but directed by Greg Nicotero, the story was by Greg Nicotero, and the teleplay was written by Luke Passmore. So check out The Oath. It's on uh, AMC TV's website. It's on their YouTube channel. And it's uh, only, what, maybe 20 minutes of your time? And it's well worth it, I think. Agreed. Uh, So let's close out the episode, and of course, after we close out the episode, we will go into our semi-spoilery look at next week's episode. Just some vague stuff, nothing very specific. But hey, if you want to stay away from that completely, I get it, don't worry. Uh, You can leave us a voicemail, 516-468-7912, that's 516-468-7912, or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out HHWLOD.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now, our brand new shows, Jersey Shore, Really BS, uh, The Shield Podcast, if you're watching Shield over there on ABC, Agents of Shield, awesome show, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and you can check out most of those shows on Facebook as well. And of course, on HHWLOD.com and WalkingDeadTV.com, you can check out Aaron's uh, review of every episode as they come out uh, for The Walking Dead. So check those out, they're awesome. Yeah, I, I put the time in the, to write up every episode. I'm happy to do it. I also want to point, plug uh, one other show um, that we have on HHWOD. Oh, I can't believe I keep forgetting that. I'm adding it into the notes right here, right now. You, you can see if you're looking at them. It is the um, the Ichapod Cranecast. This is a weekly show where myself and friends of my show, the Out Now Fair and A podcast, we, Brandon and Maxwell, we talk about episodes of the Fox series Sleepy Hollow. Uh, right now it's on a three-week hiatus because of, I guess, baseball and the World Series and whatnot, but it's going to come back. But that gives you ample amount of time to catch up on the show Sleepy Hollow, which I think is ridiculously fun, and the episodes that Brandon Maxwell and I have done on the Ichapod Cranecast recapping each episode. It's a great show, and you guys do a great cast for it, man. It's, it's fun to do. It's such a, such a weird show. It's like, why not? <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. You can follow me on Twitter at JordanFRMJersey. Aaron, where can they follow you on Twitter? I am at Aaron's PS3. And Jim? At Yoda Jones. And Russ? At R. Latham. Alrighty, so you can follow all of us. Uh, I often live tweet the show. I didn't do it this week because I was doing something else. Looked over and realized it was about 20 after 9, and so I watched the rebroadcast. But hey, it was still a lot of fun. So until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, we didn't start the fire. But Tyrese is going to find out who did. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and next week on The Walking Dead, the episode will be entitled Isolation. And the little blurb we have from AMC on this episode is... One group leaves the prison in search of supplies, while those who stay behind try to preserve what remains. And, as we saw in the previews for this episode, this will be the episode where we have that scene from the trailer, with them in the car where they hear over the radio those who arrive survive. So next week, maybe we'll even find out. Do those who arrive survive? Or not? I'm guessing it's a little bit of 50-50, but we will see. Have a good week, everybody. Good night, everybody. And the little tiny blurb we have from AMC is a group leaves the prison to surprise.
the remaining members of the group deal Whoa. with recent losses. And from what we can see from the, uh, the previous You've gone, Mr. Roboto. Yeah, oh. you sound like a Cylon. Yeah. You're a damn toaster. Hey, Jordan. Yes, yes. Um, just unplug and replug your mic back in. I think that'll fix it. Yes, but it'll... No, you don't have to stop anything. It'll make Audacity switch to my other microphone. Ah, well... Yes. You should just record in that voice. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we do this? If you guys have anything you want to say, I, I was going to say that it's um, the episode. Uh, I'll re-record that part and put it in later. But I was just going to say that this episode has the preview with um, them in the car. And if I had to guess, uh, I think he's telling us he'll just record it after words and plug it in later. I have no idea what he said. But I can't hear anything he's saying anymore. Find out the broken hearted We came here to bleed